the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Good morning, and yes, indeed, that's exactly what it is. The 20th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. It's Wednesday, and we've got a packed show for you today. We've got a packed show filled with great guests and with great information and great conversation, which I expect you to be a part of at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. You can also be a part of the show and the conversation by leaving a message for us at the companion website, alwayswrite.us. Just go ahead and uh, click on the sound off button there and tell us what you've got to say. We'll play it right here on the air and respond to it in kind. So coming up on the program this morning in about a half an hour, a Wednesday treat. We don't normally hear from Jim Jordan on Wednesdays, but as he was traveling on Monday, uh, he agreed to uh, move his uh, scheduled appearance, his weekly appearance on AM 1420, The Answer, to today. So coming up in a half an hour at 935, we will talk to the ranking member of the House Judiciary Committee and hopefully soon to be the chair of that committee if and when the Republicans do have the red wave come uh, in uh, November. So Jim Jordan, 935. Then a guy who wants to be a part of that wave, Charlie Gaddis, is running for Congress. And uh, he is uh, he's looking for a shot. He's an unknown for the most part. Um, you know Max Miller. You know Jonas Schultz, probably. He's been on the air a number of times. And Charlie Gaddis is going to come on today to tell us why he should be considered for Congress. And then uh, at 1110 today, we will have our friend uh, Neil McCabe. He is, of course, a reporter for the Ohio Star. He's in D.C. this morning. He's usually in Columbus, but he's in D.C. this morning awaiting the arrival of yet another busload of illegal aliens being deposited on the doorstep of the Capitol as a message to the leftist Democrats who are making that happen. So we're going to talk to him. We're going to talk to him not just about what he's doing there, but he's got thoughts on the Blystone story as Joe Blystone, uh, be, beware of for whom the bell tolls, Joe Blystone, because it tolls for thee. Uh, tomorrow is going to be the uh, probable cause hearing 
that uh, has been necessitated by his extraordinary refusal to follow campaign finance laws and allegations of uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars they need to be returned by the Secretary of State's office. It's not an allegation when the Secretary of State orders it. Uh, but uh, there is uh, a question about an, a couple hundred thousand more, at least 130,000 more, along with potentially thousands in fines. Uh, Joe Blystone's campaign for governor is just a flat-out mess, and there's just no other way to say it. It is a mess. From the campaign finance law violations to statements that, what do I know about running a campaign, I'm just a farmer, <laughs> to... Um, you know, the latest, oh, I didn't really mean that we support recreational marijuana. Uh, we had a staffer who checked the box wrong when they sent in the survey to the Ohio Christian Alliance. And Pastor Long won't change it back for us to, no, we support medical marijuana. He's blaming somebody else for everything that goes wrong. Not exactly a good look for a guy who wants to run a state with 12 million people-ish and uh, a multi-billion dollar state budget. Uh, it's a, it's a it's a mess and it's a crime scene is what it is, and I hope that uh, I hope that the Blystone supporters recognize and realize this is an absolute uh, fraud. It's a joke, and that they come around and support the removal of Mike DeWine from office by supporting the only guy who can win, and that is a conservative-minded guy himself. Uh, and it's a joke whenever I hear the Blystone uh, talking points repeated that Jim Renacci would be Mike DeWine 2.0. They could not be more different. They could not be more far apart on all of the core issues that matter to conservatives and to Ohioans. But there it is. So uh, Neil McCabe will talk to us about that, too. So Jim Jordan, Charlie Gaddis, and Neil McCabe are guests today. And as noted, you can be a guest whenever you are ready at 216-901-0945. Now, as we get started... With the news of the day, I would like to ask you to join me for the pledge. Now, I, I want to make a, a note here. Before you stand, take a second. Stay seated so you don't have to stand too long. I, I had an address last night, uh, a short one, a short speech, one uh, one a real big big event. Uh, but uh, it was a really enjoyable event because there were some really, really good people that I talked to in Lakewood, of all places, last night. I didn't know this when I was invited uh, to speak to the Lakewood... West Park Conservative Club, um, that this was a new club. They had just been born. This was their third meeting. It's the only, only the third meeting they had. I didn't realize that when I was invited. So I went out to Lakewood last night, and they just asked me to lead the group in the Pledge of Allegiance and then maybe make a couple of remarks about the primaries coming up or whatever I wanted to talk about. So I, it wasn't like a planned speech where I was talking for 45 minutes. I think I spoke for 15, 20 minutes. But uh, first of all, thank you to that group. Uh, I said to them last night, Lakewood is not exactly conservative in uh, in its ideology uh, as as a as an as an area. Uh, we all know what Lakewood is all about, and the fact that they found enough conservatives to form a club and to start a movement in the Lakewood West Park area is uh, is f- fantastic. That's what it takes. That kind of activism. That kind of I'm not just going to listen to conservative radio and call and vent once in a while. We're going to get up and we're going to do something. We're going to form a a club or an organization of concerned conservatives fighting on behalf of our rights and our family's rights and the values that we hold dear, even in a place where we are completely outnumbered. That is courageous and that is fantastic. So thank you to Keith Davey for the inv- invitation. And thank you to all of those who showed up at that club last night. Uh, just to uh, obviously get together and do their own work as they kind of get their feet underneath them, and then also to hear me for a few minutes. So really appreciate that. Anyway, why do I bring it up now? Because I led in the, in the Pledge of Allegiance, and I tried, so I just did a little test. When I did the pledge, 
last night when I, you know, and I was just as loud as everybody else. I wasn't using the microphone for the pledge, but I, uh, I did a little test, and I removed the comma, the verbal pause, between one nation and under God, because I have gotten a number of people saying to me, Bob, the, uh, for the uh, Pledge of Allegiance that you play on your program is wrong. There is no comma after one nation. It's not supposed to be spoken as one nation under God, indivisible. It's supposed to be one nation under God, as in God literally rules our nation. God oversees our nation. Our nation serves under God. And I've got a lot of people saying that, that if you look at the text, and when under God was inserted into the Pledge of Allegiance back in the 1950s, um, you'll see that it is supposed to be one nation under God, not one nation under God. And, of course, I never really thought too terribly much about it, because that's how I learned it in school. We all did. Right? Standing up, starting in kindergarten, putting your hand on your heart and facing your flag and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance. We always paused, because that's just the way it was taught to us. So most of us do it that way, and that's how the recording is that I play over and over again on this program. But I did a little test last night, and I spoke the Pledge of Allegiance. I recited it without the pause, and I got ahead of everybody else then who paused, and I had to kind of ask. And only a handful of hands went up who knew what I was talking about. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But at any rate, understand that if you recite the pledge without the pause, one nation under God say it that way, you are probably doing it the correct way, at least the way that it is written in the pledge. Uh, But despite that, you're going to hear it the normal way that we have all learned it here uh, on our recording. So now having said that, Patriots, please go ahead and rise and face the flag that you have near you. If you don't have one or an image of one, that's okay. Just imagine one because we know how much it means to you. Uh, And join us for the pledge. If you are a Brandon supporter who believes in giving away money uh, to people, or rather, not giving away, but forgiving debt that has been signed on to willingly by consenting adults, giving it away all in order to secure votes in an upcoming election. If you are a believer that two X chromosomes can mean whatever the heck somebody wants it to mean and not what science says it means, if you are a believer in strapping those face diapers to your faces and that you are angry with the federal judge who said you don't have to anymore, well, then you might as well just take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback, who, by the way, wants to be a slave again. Yeah, that's, that's for real. But go ahead and take your knee. We know you don't want to stand for this pledge anyway. For everybody else, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty, and justice for all. So there were only a handful of folks last night who did the uh, the the you know they blew off the pause with me. Very everybody else just kind of did it the way that recording is. So uh, just something to think about whenever you say the pledge. And by the way, I'm glad somebody brought it up to me because you know what it does? It makes us reflect on the words. How many times I I, I can say the same thing in prayer. Um. Whenever I say the Our Father or the Hail Mary or the Glory Be, which are the the more traditional ones, and of course, of course, you know, on your rosary, you just when you say the words out of just muscle memory and just repeat it, da, 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 it it just it is what it is. You ever stop and pause over every word and think about what those words mean and what each phrase or each clause, whatever it is, means? Uh, it means a lot more when you actually think about what you're saying rather than repeating out of rote memory. Same thing with the pledge. 
When we just say, I pledge allegiance to the... It, think that breakdown, that great red skeleton breakdown. What does it mean? Pledge. Allegiance. And the whole way through. I think just discussing the pause makes us think about what the words mean. One nation under God. What does that mean? What kind of a nation are we? We are a nation of faithful people who believe in God and who um, understand that he is the reason for our existence, the nation's existence, humanity's existence. So I just kind of appreciate that. All right. Having gotten past all of that, the Biden administration is in a tizzy. President Brandon and his acolytes in the media are freaking out now over how weak they look because of the federal judge. Um, removing the mask mandate, declaring it to be unlawful, declaring it to be unconstitutional. A federal judge has said the CDC can't do this. Make everybody wear these masks. They have exceeded their authority, not to mention what they have done in requiring people who are untrained as law officers to act as law officers. And that's exactly what this does. It makes flight attendants act like cops. You will do what I tell you to do or you are removed from this, uh, you know, from this plane. Um, it makes all kinds of people whose whose training does not include confrontation and enforcement of federal law. It's wrong for so many reasons. And a federal judge finally declared so. And instantaneously, every railway, every airline that was forced because of TSA to use these uh, uh, guidelines, or not guidelines, these orders by President Brandon signed the day after he took office, uh, they all had to enforce these things. So the federal judge has removed the mask mandate because it's unconstitutional. And the Brandon response was three different positions in three hours. At 1 p.m. yesterday, the Biden administration's position was, we still want masks on planes. At 2 p.m., the administration's response was, no, masks should be optional. At 3 p.m., it was, yes, we still want masks on planes and we'll potentially sue, uh, or appeal rather, not sue, appeal that ruling to make it happen. Just listen. The CDC continues to uh, advise and recommend masks on airplanes. We're abiding by the CDC recommendations. The president is, and we would advise all Americans to do that. People continue to wear masks on planes. That's up to them. We are right now in the process of deciding, and we likely will appeal that ruling. That's three positions by three different administrative administration officials, rather, in three hours. At one o'clock, Propaganda Patty was saying, the CDC recommends masks on planes, and that's what we are still pursuing. That's what we want everybody to do. By the 2 p.m., now masks should be optional. And, and then at 3 p.m., uh, uh, yes, we want masks on planes. Uh, Homeland Security uh, uh, Secretary. So, it, and we're going to appeal. This is this is the insanity of it, and this is why the left is freaking out. Now, I want to give you a couple of clips to prove the freak out. From MSNBC, one of the uh, DNC's media arms, one of the Brandon administration's uh, uh, go-to uh, press organizations, MSNBC says, and that they're worried about Democrats saying Biden looks weak and is lacking in leadership after this mask mandate ruling, and they want him to be more forceful and to fight back against uh, the the judge 
that has decided that this is unconstitutional. Listen. You can see here where they're trying to walk this line of there are Democrats that I've spoken to who said, look, the president looks weak here. He could have come out and owned this moment, this transition in the country where people are taking off their masks on transportation. He didn't do that. Instead, he's being led by the courts. And then the other side of that is other Democrats say, well, if he did come out knowing that, there's polling that shows Democrats like these mask mandates, as at least some of them do, and they, they are more inclined to mask up. And so he risks offending those part people in, in his part, own party. And so what you're seeing is then this just sort of allowing the courts to make this decision, even though you heard White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki just say moments ago that public health decisions should not be made by the courts. What the concern is that some Democrats have is that this just looks like a lack of leadership on really critical issues. So they're worried that this looks like a lack of leadership because the courts made the decision and Brandon had nothing to say about it other than, well, it should be up to the people. That is the decision. And if you have Democrats, MSNBC, if you have Democrats who are concerned about whether or not the, 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 uh, mask mandate should be lifted or not, well, then you tell them, keep it in force for yourself. If you are a Democrat freaking out over masks and you really believe masks work, if you really believe they work, then you won't have any problem at all with everybody else not wearing them except you. If they really work, you will not be able to get any viral particles in through your wonderful mask. The only reason you should be concerned and freaking out about this is if you don't believe they work and you believe that the only way they will work is if everybody has them on, which, of course, makes no sense whatsoever. If the viral particles are small enough to get through my mask, they'll be small enough to get through yours as well. And if you believe that only the N95 masks will work, then again, you don't need a mandate. Just put one on and you'll be fine. No one will care. Wear your mask. Be happy. Look at me and see me unmasked and know that I'm happy. And let's all get on with our day. Now, I give you MSNBC. Here's clip number two. This is NBC Today, uh, or excuse me, um, um, uh, for crying out loud, Chuck Todd, uh, the show, uh, show uh, Meet the Press. NBC's Meet the Press show host, Chuck Todd. Also speaking on NBC yesterday about the weakness of the Brandon administration simply over something like the unconstitutional mask mandate. If you got on a plane or a train or really any form of public transportation today, you probably noticed a pretty big change. Yesterday afternoon, a Trump-appointed federal judge in Florida struck down the administration's federal mask mandate for travelers just days after the Center for Disease Control extended it through early May. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki called the ruling disappointing, but the White House has not yet appealed the ruling. They claim it's something for the Department of Justice to look into. Already the TSA, major airline carriers, Amtrak, Uber, Lyft, all others have dropped their mask requirements essentially the second the the White House decided not to appeal. Folks, it's one thing for a Trump judge to strike down an order from the Biden White House, but it's an entirely different thing for the White House to let it happen without any legal pushback, and it's not the first time recently that something hasn't gone the White House's way. They don't fight back. They don't defend their rationale. That's because they have no rationale, Chuck, you unimaginable idiot. There is no rationale for this. Science says they don't work. The CDC admitted that cloth masks don't work, and yet they wanted to 
mandate that any kind of face covering, including cloths, be used. And that's 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 you know what what they're gonna the hill they're gonna die on. Again, to what end? For what purpose? Virtue signaling, compliance, forced compliance. Not about science, all about compliance. You know it and so do I. They just give you the um, the emoji shrug. We saw it when the Supreme Court struck down their vaccine mandate for large employers. Which was also unconstitutional. Does the Constitution mean anything to you on the far left on NBC? We saw it when West Virginia's Joe Manchin essentially scrapped the president's entire domestic agenda in Congress. Joe Manchin was one vote out of 100. One vote out of 100. How do you put all of this on one one-hundredth of the Senate? How do you do that? We may even be seeing it with the ongoing intra-party fight on Title 42. The Biden administration, with the full power and prestige of the presidency, with its party's power in Congress on the line this November, has repeatedly looked as if they're easy to roll. They're easy to roll because what? they have no conviction. They have no conviction whatsoever in the ridiculous policies that they are implementing. If they did, they wouldn't be so easy to roll, but they know they're wrong, and they're only trying to placate their far-left voters. All right, it's 926, a little extended monologue for you there. We'll take this to the bottom of the hour news, and on the other side of that news, Congressman Jim Jordan waits. Stick around for that on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. left tune your radio to the right and find a voice of reason amid the liberal chaos always right with bob france on am 1420 the answer always right radio online at always us. you can always listen there you can always see the top stories of the day so make sure that you check those out and leave your comments for me on the sound off page on always right us 936 now as i mentioned it is a wednesday and it's a special bonus treat for you normally you don't hear jim jordan on wednesdays but as he was traveling on monday he has uh rearranged his schedule to give us a little bit of time today and let's welcome the ranking member of the house judiciary committee fourth congressional district representative in ohio jim jordan good morning sir morning bob how you doing i'm doing well but i i'm gonna guess that i'm not doing as well as you you finally got what you have been fighting for since april of last year and that is a shot at alejandro mayorkas he's gonna come in yep. he's gonna testify how about it yeah yeah finally he's coming in we'll see what he you know we'll see if he uh answers any questions he's been pretty most of the hearings he's he really hasn't given any detailed questions but i think now with what I think it's like nine Democrat senators are, are, are saying, hey, wait a minute on this on this Title 42 uh, move they're getting ready to make. Uh, maybe he'll be a little more forthcoming. So uh, we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, we're trying to we're trying to be ready for that uh, that hearing next week. To what do you attribute those nine Democrat senators um, saying they disagree with the uh, oh, with the end yeah. of Title 42? Is it because they, they 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 see its value as a tool to try to limit illegal immigration, or is it more of they are still not convinced COVID is in the rearview mirror and they want this in place because of the health situation? Well, it's more the former. I mean, I mean, it could be both with Democrats. But it's more more the former because many of them are up for re-election and they realize that this is the only thing keeping a what's already complete chaos from being even more chaotic. I mean, it is, it, the, the border agents tell us it'll go from 8,000, 7, 8,000 a day to, to, to 18,000 a day, uh, illegal migrants uh, coming across the border. So, uh, you know, and this is on top of the record level we have seen in the 15 months that, that Joe Biden has been, 
been president. So, yeah, this is about pure politics. This is, and, and you're seeing Mark Kelly, who's got a tough race in Arizona. You're seeing him, him out there talking about, don't, don't rescind this, keep this in place. This is the only thing holding back having a little bit of a, of a border still left. You know, Congressman, uh, I'm I'm glad, obviously, that you and and other members uh, of the of the minority there are going to get your opportunity to question Mayorkas and his inexplicable decisions and statements on the border. But when are we going to start holding the executive accountable here? Um, he put yeah. President Brandon put uh, uh, Kamala Harris in charge of this, and we all know. Well, I'm looking at the root causes to see why people yeah. want to come here from other countries. Even that is, I mean, not only are neither one of them going to the border, not not only are neither one of them talking to border patrol agents, they're not talking to anybody in, responsible for securing uh, our sovereignty down at our southern border. Um, they, they they refuse to go down, and now they're, from what I understand, when's the last time we had a statement from them about this quote-unquote root cause problem? Yeah. What, if anything, I mean, literally, are they doing besides completely ignoring the situation and pretending it's not happening? Well, I think it's even worse than that. We've talked about this. I, I think it's intentional. I mean, what they're doing is deliberate, intentional, designed to just take away the border, because I, I don't know how any rational person could reach any other conclusion when you look at the numbers, I used to say this last year, but it's, it's still true. March of last year was the highest month on record for illegal crossings until April. April was the highest until May, May until June, June until July when it was 212,000. And then August went down all the way to 209,000. Uh, and guess what happened just this March, just, just, just this, just last month, 221,000. So we set a new record. So there is no way you can say this is not intentional. And, and I, I think that's one of the questions we need to pose to, to Secretary Marcus is you're intentionally do this, doing this for what reason? You don't want a border? You want, you, we, you, what are you trying to accomplish? Is it, a, is it raw politics? Is it appeasement of the left who believes in open border? What is the, the, the you talk about root cause, what's the root motivation for you intentionally not enforcing the law, intentionally putting in place policies that take away our southern border? I guess what I find so bizarre is that, and I agree with you 100%, it is intentional. There's no doubt about it. But but how poorly planned is this? I mean, if somebody is intentionally going to be committing crimes, they're still going to take steps to try to throw you know, the police or investigators <laughs> off the trail. I mean, they're not even yeah. attempting to say, while they allow this to happen, but you know what, we're going to go down, we're going to talk to Border Patrol, we're going to talk to you know ICE, we're going to talk to everybody we have to about this and really get to the... To the I mean, they could at least put on a show, give us a facade, and they won't even do that, which yeah. is what I find very bizarre. Well, they are trying. Now, now, now remember this: uh, the, the communities on the border feel it; they know it. That's why you're, that's why you're seeing Republicans get elected to mayor of some of these towns, and you're, you're seeing Hispanics in, in Texas move to the Republican Party because they actually want a secure border. But um, they are trying to hide when they put people on flights and send them to, for example, White Plains, New York. So they are trying to hide some of that. But I think Americans are waking up to this. Say, wait a minute, you, what's going on here? Middle of the night flights to to communities all over the country. What are you guys up to? Um, so I do think the country is beginning to wake up to that, and, and of course all the other crazy policies, you know, that we've talked about: energy, inflation. Uh, on and on we could go. They're bringing them to you too. Greg Abbott is sending busload after busload of illegals yep. to uh, yep. to the steps of the Capitol. Have you have you seen, observed, had any interaction with any of that? Well, we, we haven't been in the Capitol this week uh, because oh, that's of the right. break. break. We've been around the district. But, um, yeah, we saw that on TV that, that you know, there's been multiple busloads now uh, right at the Capitol. And I think that's I think that's appropriate. I mean, Joe Biden's caused this problem. Joe Biden needs to understand what's what's really going on here.
Yeah, and uh, I, I think the best thing I heard from Greg Abbott yesterday was, uh, by the way, uh, you know, Delaware looks like a good location too. I think they should just take busload after bus. No, I'm not kidding. Put him in Biden's neighborhood. Put him in uh, in Nancy Pelosi's neighborhood in San Francisco. Put him put him where all of these people who don't care about sovereignty and security uh, where they live because they seem to be you know they seem to think that they're immune from all of this. So let's put him. Well, remember him remember the first three missions of the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, mission number one is is helping prevent terrorism then number two is secure the border number three is enforcement of immigration law so we know they're not doing two and three but they're also there's a concern with number one because it's been reported by some news outlets this past week 23 people were were uh were uh apprehended there on the border uh were on the terrorist watch list so if you if, if you if you catch 23 if you find 23 imagine how many that that weren't on the terrorist watch list I mean, excuse me, that were on the terrorist watch list right. who got through that weren't, after, weren't weren't caught. So this is a big concern as well, and I think that'll be something we'll talk about next week. Yeah, and that's why that eighty thousand that they said were uh, deposited throughout the mainland United States in the month of March is 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 a terrible number, but it's not even close to the reality because of how many gotaways, how many people did they not yep. get and actually take yep. up there, but who did it themselves. Um, let me switch to the mask mandate. This is something you have been uh, on for for literally over a year, year and a half now, roughly. Yep. Um, talking about the freedom of Americans to make their own choices on health care and to breathe the free air, particularly since the science says that the fil- air filter filtration systems in airplanes are second to none. Okay. You're probably yeah. safer yeah. there than you would be anywhere else. Um, finally, it took a federal judge, a Trump, appo- a Trump appointee, to say that Trump this said, is unlawful yeah. and unconstitutional. Do you think the Brandon administration will appeal? I think they probably will. Well, I mean, this is this is you know they love running our lives, but yeah, this was a you know this was a win for freedom and a loss for Fauci yesterday uh, or earlier this week. I got to fly yesterday, and uh, I tell you what, it was. It, I bet eighty, ninety percent of the people in the planes were were not wearing the mask. I mean, it was truly freedom, and it was just good to see the country getting back to normal, getting back to respect for for liberty, freedom, the Constitution, and God bless the, the President Trump. And the good judge that he appointed, who made a good decision. Yeah, there are videos and photographs of cabins uh, now in the air for the first time as people cheer and clap uh, whenever the uh, uh, the flight attendants make the announcement that face masks are optional. You do not have to wear them. People are just so yeah, happy to get some sort so of semblance of freedom back. But, Congressman, um, the reality is while that's happening, the city of Philadelphia just became, we talked about this some last week, but the city of Philadelphia just reinstituted the indoor mask mandate while the rest of the country is, is starting to, you know, open itself back up again. Uh, they're, they're in the middle of, nope, 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 it's still a threat. There's still a subvariant which is hospitalizing no one, which is manifesting itself with, uh, conditions similar to allergies. Uh, that means we still have to put the masks back on. And I, I'm afraid that Philadelphia yeah. is only the first of many. Yeah, the, the left can't give it up because they like control, just like the Congress, uh, the Democrats in Congress can't give up January 6th. It's all they can talk about. It's putting restrictions on Americans' freedoms, coming after. I mean, it, it, this is what, I mean, because like, like we've talked before, are they going to talk about inflation, the 41 year high inflation? They're going to talk about the, you know, their foreign policy. They're going to, they're going to talk about, uh, they're going to talk about the border. They're going to talk about energy. They're going to, they're going to talk about, so that they have to talk about these things and they, I mean, let's just be honest. They love the power and the control. They don't value the Constitution, it seems to me, in the same way that that conservatives do. Congressman, I want to ask you one quick question on crime real quick, because the, the, the report that was just, uh, just released about um, the uh, impact of the defund the police movement in 2021 
that it had. It's just been released, and it has been just awful for African Americans. Yeah, um, sure which has. is which is sadly what so many of us predicted because of the number of uh, crime victims. Uh, whenever you know, whenever crime spikes, the victims are almost almost always a, a massive majority of African Americans, and the number of perpetrators are also African Americans. Which is why policing in black communities is so important. Which, by the way, is why seventy to eighty percent of people who live in black communities say we don't want the police to go away. We love them. We want sure. them here. They protect sure. us. But the numbers are staggering. Some forty percent increase. In, in murders of African Americans since the defund the police movement started, do you think this will yep. open any eyes and maybe uh, and maybe unite nope. the two ideologies, the right and the left, on the need for proactive policing? I, I do, I do, because um, Americans have common sense. <clears throat> just the left who doesn't. I mean, step back and think about it for a second. When you defund the police, you shouldn't be surprised when you get more crime. When you when you call rioters and looters peaceful protesters, you shouldn't be surprised when you get more crime. When you get rid of bail, you shouldn't be surprised when you get more crime. When you elect prosecutors to say we're not going to put bad guys in prison, you shouldn't be surprised when you get more crime. So we're getting exactly what anyone with common sense knew we would get, but the left did it anyway. And I do think communities are waking up to like, this is crazy. We, we can't have this. And that's why you're seeing that what, what we had a Republican elected prosecutor in, I think, Seattle uh, last fall. I mean, there's there's a there's a change coming. I think it's going to continue to build. I mean, I get the opportunity to travel around the country, and you can just hear from people. They're fed up with left policies across the board, but certainly when it comes to criminal justice, certainly when it comes to this crazy idea that you know we we, we even had some members, Democrat members of Congress, say get rid of the police, not just defund them, get yeah. rid of them. I mean, that that is the craziest thing in the world. So yeah, the, yeah, Americans have common sense. It's just the left who controls the Democrat Party now does it. You know what I really hope, though, Congressman, too, is that Americans' eye. we're talking with Congressman Jim Jordan, if you just turned us on, um, that Americans' eyes are opened to the hypocrisy. Because you see stories yeah. like the one I just told you with the numbers being so so out of whack, and yet the continued call by the far left to um, to defund or abolish police altogether. And then you have people like Cory Bush, uh, one of yeah. the loudest voices. Um, just just a story just uh, uh, came out. She spent some $300,000 on private security, something yeah. she can yeah. either afford with her own money or she is using taxpayer money for, private security for me, no police protection for thee. Yeah, no, it's uh, you, you saw it with them in COVID. You see it with them on defund the police. You see it with them on, on so many issues. Uh, the rest of us regular folks have to live a certain way, but oh no, no, the rules don't apply to them. You see it with you, you saw it with the, with the the Clintons and and some of the investigations. So um, yeah, that's that's the mo- one of the most frustrating things I think we all feel, and certainly something I hear about from folks across the fourth district and around the country. Yeah, and uh, just to clarify that too, uh, her campaign reported spending over yeah, seventy thousand dollars right. on security services between January first and March thirty first. Um, and uh, $233,000 that uh, the committee which, spent on yeah, her which, as well. So, we're, so in other words, these are, these, are, these are not necessarily taxpayer dollars, but campaign contributions right, campaign. to pay for her. Which is fine and which is, fine and which is allowed, but, but then, then by the same thing, don't, don't be telling to folks that you get the privilege of representing that they don't get police, that you're, you're going to defund the police. I mean, that, that's the whole point. Like, we, we obviously, if, if there's security concerns, you know, God bless you. You're allowed to spend your campaign dollars to protect yourself when you're out traveling. That's fine. But then don't turn around and say, but the people I represent, we don't want police protecting them. That's just ridiculous.
quote, suck it up, defunding the police has to happen. But, yes, I'm going to make sure I have security. It's just incredible that those things can be spoken. Last thing for you, Congressman. Um, Chuck Schumer is continuing to push. And now the news story today is the Biden administration is about to grant some 40,000 individuals um, student loan debt forgiveness. Um, I'm waiting for the announcement of when my mortgage debt is going to be forgiven. And I just got a yeah. new truck, too, and I've got payments that I'm going to be paymaking for the next five years. I'd like to know when that is going to be forgiven, too. Can you work on that for me, or does that not count? Yeah, this is this is crazy. And, of course, you know, I hear we, we hear from parents out there all the time, like, they, they sucked it up, they paid for the, something, you know, they paid for their own school, they paid for their children's school, and it's like, and now they're going to forgive us for someone else? And many of these people... You know, look, I understand that, that government has driven up the prices of, of, of college education, but, but at the same time, lots of families have paid for it. This is just not fair, and uh, the, the po- political games that the, that the left is playing with this, is just, just, it's just flat-out wrong. So um, we'll push back on it, but we'll see what happens. I certainly hope so, because these banks that lent all this money to these students to go to school uh, need to get their money back, or else they have no more money to lend anybody else. We're going to yep. find ourselves in another banking crisis like we were about 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and that's that's something we cannot allow to happen. Congressman Jim Jordan, thank you for taking the time today. I appreciate it, sir. We'll talk soon. You bet. Take care. Uh, there's Jim Jordan on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. That interview, if you missed the first part of it, will be up on uh, alwaysright.us probably within the hour. So uh, make sure to check back for the interview in its entirety. We've got a little gap now between uh, uh, now and our next interview, which is going to be with Charlie Gaddis, congressional candidate, coming up at 1010. So this is a good time for you to dial 216-901-0945-888-281-1110. Join me on Always Right Radio. Nine fifty four, AM fourteen twenty. The answer and always right radio online at alwaysrightradio.us. Check out the lead stories there. There's a link, by the way, right now on the uh, on the page. It's the lead story in the upper left on uh, Black Death. Uh, used to be the term of the, the the Great Plague, the Black Plague, Black Death. Now it means black people dying in dramatic numbers because of the defund the police movement. Police officers are the best friends to the African-American community, quite frankly, to all communities. And when they are removed from high crime areas, which are unfortunately um, in many African-American communities, people die. Uh, violent crimes get committed. When you add the abolition of the police or the defunding or the reduced funding of police to the weak prosecutors... Uh, and judges giving no-cash bail, putting people right back out on the streets, giving soft sentences. You add all of those things together, and people who are uh, committing lots of crimes are emboldened to commit lots of crimes, even more of them. So if you want to read that story, there's a great report from the Ohio Star there uh, linked on uh, alwaysright.us. Uh, let's take a phone call from Barry, who's calling us from Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Barry. Go ahead, sir. My probation officer was doing illegal stuff. Uh, Barry, you got to turn the radio down, bud. They said he was racist. Well, all, all right, I Barry. know is... Right. Every time I talk to We're going to uh, put, get, we'll have to put Barry on hold and try. Remember, when you call a radio station, you can't be listening to, uh, to the radio. You can't be listening to the radio. If you do, you're going to end up in a seven-second delay of hell, and you won't be able to... Um, uh, won't be able to complete the phone call. Uh, to the point, uh, Bar- Barry was going to talk about Jim Renacci's campaign, at least according to my screen, uh, and how he's not seeing many com- commercials about that. I asked Jim Renacci about that last week 
when he was on this program. And I said, you know, look, there's there's not a lot of not a lot of you know visibility there on the TV side. And he made it very clear there is a strategy that they have, and they have talked to a number of political analysts about this. Uh, that TV ads are kind of a waste, depending depending on the existing name recognition of a candidate. If somebody needs to be introduced for the first time, then television can be a useful tool. Uh, but as he pointed out, he said, uh, it reaches, you know, TV reaches everybody. It's a broad, broad, broad swath of people um, that you reach, meaning Democrats too. And they're not going to vote for you no matter what, meaning people who are, you know, you're going to be reaching voters who have nothing to do with your particular race in this primary. He said they believe in more targeted advertising, which is why they're sending mailers out to addresses of Republicans that they have on file from registration. Because the goal here is to get Republicans. Democrats can't vote in a primary. Only Republicans can. So the goal is to get Republicans, and obviously I should say that in the Republican race. Obviously Democrats are going to vote in their own primaries. But for Jim Renacci's purposes, as he explained to me, um, <clears throat> they need to reach Republican voters because that's who they have to, uh, you know, to get in order to knock Mike DeWine out in this primary, and obviously to put the uh, the farmer out to his pasture too. So um, it's a targeted strategy. Uh, they can reach pe- people more uh, uh, appropriate, I guess, if you will, for their efforts and for the dollars they spend by doing as many town halls as they can in front of Republican voters, by doing as many. Uh, again, targeted mailers, and a lot of door, door knocking, too, trying to convince Republicans to turn away from Mike DeWine and to ignore the uh, the bushy beard and to simply uh, vote for the right person to run the state of Ohio from a true conservative standpoint. And that's what Jim Renese's doing. So I hope that kind of explains it, even though we couldn't, couldn't quite get that call. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next... Uh, we're ne- Do you realize we're less than two weeks? Yesterday was two weeks from Election Day. Have you already voted? Are you doing the early voting thing? Or are you going to wait until May 3rd? I'm kind of curious to see how that goes. I talked to a group of people last night in Lakewood about voting and about what they are going to do and how difficult it's going to be for a lot of us to make our decisions on the Senate race, for example. A lot of people in the Lakewood crowd last night heard my interview with J.D. Vance. We talked about how much you trust what he says now versus what he said then. Uh, how do you evaluate a man's sincerity? And if that sincerity is uh, something you decide is real and true, is, that, is he going to get your vote since Trump endorsed him, or are you still going with one of your other favorites? All of those things, uh, I want to talk to you about it, 216-901-0945. It's very, very difficult. I understand that. Uh, and I want to know, did you vote already? And if you have in early voting at your county board of elections and you want to talk about your vote and why you're making the decision you did, let me know. And if you are still up in the air, if your vote is still up for grabs, if Vance or Gibbons or or uh, Mandel or anybody else can still get your vote, I'd like to know how and, and what it will take for them to do so. So that'll be a part of our conversation going on. 216-901-0945, You can also leave... A message for me at alwayswrite.us. Tell me, for whom are you voting in the governor's race and in that Senate race? And if you want to throw the congressional races in, too, uh, let me know who and why, and we'll play them on live radio on AM 1420, The Answer, back after the news. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, 
or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number two is underway on AM 1420, The Answer at 8 minutes past 10 o'clock. It's a Wednesday, the 20th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Appreciate you being with us. Thanks again to Congressman Jim Jordan, representing our 4th Congressional District. Also the ranking member of the uh, House Judiciary Committee. We talk to him each and every week, and we have talked for some time now about uh, the movement toward November of 2022. Uh, the time in which, or that uh, point in w- at which, we will retake control of this country from the far left that attempts to destroy it. And I say that not with uh, any kind of um, uh, hyperbole at all. Uh, when they say they want to fundamentally transform this country, that means change it, destroy it, kill what it is, and build something that they like better in its place. That's exactly what their intention is. And if we allow them to maintain control of the House and or the Senate uh, coming up in November, they are going to be successful. It is that important for us. Now, there are a lot of Republicans running to retain their seats. There are some Republicans looking to gain a seat and add uh, to that effort. And one of them is on the line with us right now. Charlie Gaddis is running for Congress. You probably have heard some of his uh, commercials right here on AM 1420, The Answer. He's from Medina, and he wants a seat at that House table. Mr. Gaddis, good morning. Good to have you on the program. How are you, sir? Thank you, Bob. Great to be here. Good to have you. How are you doing this morning? How are you feeling about your campaign right now? Well, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think one of the unique things about my campaign is I've, one of my strengths is that I'm a creative problem solver with over 35 years of business experience, and I'm a student of economics. And as a result, I've got some very principled policies to kind of turn this nation around. Now, it's tough to get kind of deep policies out, so I greatly appreciate the opportunity to come on and kind of explain those. Um, You know, one of the key things that I'm running on is as the inflation terminator. And I've got kind of a three-step program that I'd love to discuss with you on how how to get there. Well, you know what, if you have that answer, boy, I I absolutely want to hear it because we are all suffering in a big, big way. Now, before we get to the specifics, Charlie, and, and, and you can tell me about that, um, tell me about what brought you into the race, particularly into a race. In, in, you know, we, we know the districts have all been turned upside down uh, from the time uh, that a lot of people declared. Uh, you know, for example, Max Miller and Jonah Schultz both uh, declared their candidacy to try to boot Anthony Gonzalez from his seat in the 16th. Uh, and, of course, we know what happened there. Everything has gotten turned around, and now they're running in the 7th, as are you. Uh, Bob Gibbs, the former, or now I guess I could call him the former incumbent because he's not running for re-election, is there as well. So things have gotten, kind of gotten upside down and all over the place in terms of how the districts were being were being drawn. What decided, or what made you, rather, decide to throw your hat into whatever congressional ring that you could well i think what drove me to run for congress is that you know year over year you hear bad policies being made and i think one of the insights that i bring is is basically my creative problem solving that i can bring into that and i've kind of worked out some disciplined approaches to, to solving stuff so i think i bring a unique insight so like the other two candidates that you're talking to about you know neither one of those i mean they're so young they've never run a budget 
I, I doubt if they know how to read financials. Um, you know, where we're at today, had, if we were in 1980 and Ronald Reagan was at the helm, sending youthful vigor into D.C. would make a lot of sense. But it's 2022, and we have Joe Biden at the helm, and, and we have a lot of challenges facing us. You have a big challenge, too, because you face a, a Trump-endorsed candidate in this race, and that, of course, is Max Miller. Um, does that dissuade you in any way, or does that just steal your resolve and you know you can overcome that? Well, that's always a challenge um, with any endorsement they can do. So, like, I received the PD endorsement that was a little more balanced. Um, you know, President Trump, while his policies have been fantastic. Some of the people that he's endorsed haven't quite been right for us. And we've seen that in his administration. So I think the question isn't so much of, you know, do I like Trump, but would Trump like me? And I think when we go through the policies that I have, where we talk about, you know, um, putting American businesses on an equal footing, uh, you know, every American receiving 100% of what they earn, you know, securing the border, not only with a physical wall, but with the virtual wall? I think the answer would be absolutely. We're talking to Charlie Gaddis, who is a candidate for Congress, uh, District 7. Again, Max Miller, Jonah Schultz are in that one as well. Okay, Inflation Terminator, you got a three-point plan or a three-step plan to help us deal with the extraordinary inflation that, of course, you know, according to the President of the United States, is not his fault. It's, it's Vladimir Putin's fault. It's the Putin price hike is what we're told. Uh, so how do you deal with it? Yes, absolutely. So let's talk first off about the president's contention that it's not his fault. That's absolutely false. The the economy is so large and takes so much effort. You have to do a lot to mess it up. A what what Putin did is a shock, but it's not what's created this ten percent inflation. This is a result of Joe Biden's bad policies and excessive spending. So let's talk about his bad policies. First off, when you talk about our energy policy. It needs to be that about stability and independence domestically as we morph into a greener economy and internationally about denying bad actors excessive profits to wage war and mayhem. And we've seen exactly what putting the United States in the back, sto- back seat on energy has resulted in. And that's resulted in, you know, w- whether it's Iran or Russia, they're going to create mayhem with the excessive profits that the world's giving them. And the United States can go a long ways with a robust energy policy to stop that. The second one we talk about is spending, right? So the fighting COVID, we have spent about $7 trillion, $3.5 trillion spent by President Trump, $3.5 trillion spent by President Biden. The only difference, Biden didn't have a pandemic to spend the money on. So he ended up just spend, doing a lot of wasteful spending. So for, for my fiscal responsibility angle, I believe that we need a rolling budget process that would require each cabinet member to submit a budget and then allow congressmen to carve out excessive spending and force an up-and-down vote on that. Uh, you would do that same process with any large spending bill. And hopefully, while you may not be able to stop all the excessive spending, you'd have a chance at, at minimizing it. And then the final step is really talking about how we tax, how we fund our government or how do we tax people. And that is, uh, I'm a big proponent of the fair tax. The income tax was a bad Republican idea made much worse by the Democrats. 
what when you tax productivity, it gets embedded into the cost of everything we do and puts the United States at a great disadvantage. The fair tax, on the other hand, is about taxing consumption. So every American would get 100% of what they earn, not just what the government decides to leave you. Um, on, on top of that, businesses would be taxed equally with imports. So today, every place in the world, every major economy, except for the United States, taxes through consumption. They call it the VAT tax is their version. Right. Um, and the United States taxes for productivity. Well, when you export a product, you rebate that tax. So basically, goods, whether they come from Asia or Europe, are coming in untaxed. And our domestic products, when we export them, because we tax productivity, it's so embedded and entwined, we're already at a 30% disadvantage, let alone when the products come in domestically, we're fighting at a 30% disadvantage. So I'm, I'm for getting into a fair tax. Um, so between a robust energy policy, fiscally a rolling budget for fiscal responsibility and the fair tax, that's the way you put America back on path to having an economy where you can reward the American dream. Charlie, you're you're in your wheelhouse when you're talking about economy and taxes and 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 uh, that side of this uh, you know this this race. Let's get you out. And I say that because you have a master's in business administration, uh, uh, with a, and then you also have a bachelor's uh, in business administration with an emphasis on accounting and finance. So this is your wheelhouse. Let me get you out of that comfort zone now and ask you a couple of, of other things as you campaign sure. for Congress in the 7th District. How do you deal with immigration? How do you deal with the unchecked number, hundreds of thousands per month coming across, over 80,000 in the month of March, intentionally delivered by plane or bus and released into um, the interior of the United States with no end in sight? What would be your policy? What would be your goal on a committee in Congress if you were there? So my solution pretty much follows um, President Trump's approach in that you need a physical wall. But I also believe you need the virtual wall. And the virtual wall would be requiring proof of citizenship to access our banks, hospitals, schools, gain employment, or receive government benefits. And between the physical wall and the virtual wall, and, and of course, um, enforcing our, our immigration laws and deporting those that don't qualify, you, I believe we can secure the United States. Then the second step is, is how do we deal with um, asylum. So a lot of these individuals that are flooding our border are claiming asylum. And my solution for asylum would be that every friendly nation, as you cross that border, you need to apply for asylum. And you can go to any U.S. Um, embassy and make that, uh, make that application for U.S. asylum. But first, you must apply for that country. Because if you're really in fear of your life, and you go from, I don't know, El Salvador and you end up in Guatemala, you know, you should make the, are you now away from that fear? And if you are, you should first apply for that country. And if they, if it's valid, but they don't have room for you, then you can apply for the United States. So, you know, but from the outside, is, but from the outside, from, not from, from within. From the outside. No, no, no. Once you get to the border, if you, you cannot come to the border and claim asylum if you're from a friendly nation, you would immediately be repatriated. Right. That would be the solution. So 
you know, if you want it, if you are truly an asylum seeker, go to the embassy. If you can't do it in your country, go to the first safe country, apply for that country, and then you can also apply for the United States. If you get denied, go to the next safe country. But once you cross the U.S. border and you're from a friendly nation, now you're, you're breaking our process and you need to be immediately repatriated. Um, and that's how okay, I let me, let me with... Let me throw a monkey into the wrench here. Let me, sure. let me ask you about, about uh, a unique situation such as Ukrainian refugees who literally are fleeing war, who literally are fe- uh, f- fleeing persecution, and in fact, in some people's descriptions, genocide and attempt to wipe out Ukrainians because they're killing, as you know, uh, extraordinary numbers of citizens and civilians, not necessarily uh, fighters in the in the Ukrainian military. But, um, you know, we're taking them in. And uh, they, of course, have to cross through several friendly countries where they have escaped Ukraine's, you know, the destruction in Ukraine. They're in a friendly country, but they're still coming here to the United States. Do they get an exemption? So I think when you have a horrible scenario like like Ukraine, where the world is getting together and, and they're kind of deviating, you know, divvying up those people who need safe haven. Now, quite frankly, I think a lot of the Ukrainians want to go back once they've resolved their issue. Um, but, but for us to, and, and you need Congress approval, but for, for us to agree to, to bring in certain, um, you know, certain people seek, seeking asylum, I think that's kind of a one-off scenario where we can certainly work through those scenarios. Because hopefully we don't have global war or, you know, horrible wars all the time. Yeah. But when you're talking about the southern border, that's a totally different scenario. These people are really just kind of deciding that they want to come to to the land of milk and honey, and and they want to skip all the rules. I mean, because we do have a process, and they just want to skip it. They want to jump in front of all those other people that are standing in line asking to, you know, immigration is great for the United States, legal immigration. Illegal aliens aren't helping us, and they need to follow a process, and we need to help them help us by having a logical, thought-out process for them to apply for asylum if it makes sense. And if not, they need to follow our normal immigration policy. I do have one other twist on immigration, and this one's not totally vetted, so you'll have to guide me a little bit or give me a little bit of leadway. But I'm a big fan of the state putting together, you know, how many immigrants they would like to do, and then when somebody wants to immigrate into the United States, they would sponsor them. And then that immigrant would be required to kind of live in that state, work in that state, and and until they gain their citizenship, and then, of course, they could go anywhere in the country. And likewise, the state would be responsible for, you know, helping make sure the legal immigrant has the opportunity and fills some of the needs that they have. And, and that way, it's not just one big blanket, go wherever you want. And, and then the last thing I would do is just outlaw moving illegal aliens all over the country, because that just can't be. You know, it, you can't have the government move, moving people that don't have a right to be here without... Yeah, and signing contracts, that's got to end. Yeah, well, I completely concur. You can't, but that's exactly what they're doing. And limiting them to one state is a novel approach. I don't know, again, how that would fly constitutionally if they're allowed to come here. Are we going to do that with students as well who are uh, coming in as on student visas? Are they going to be allowed to uh, uh, go uh, from one state to another? Are they going to be trapped in one place uh, by a state that is, quote-unquote, sponsoring them, maybe the university that they attend? So there's a lot of ground that would have to cover there. Like you said, it's not all vetted yet, but it's an idea. And I think ideas mm-hmm. are- Things. I think ideas are good things when we are suffering.
suffering through the worst period of, of illegal immigration in this country's history. Charlie Gaddis is his name. He is a candidate in District 7. He's running against Max Miller and Jonas Schultz. He would like to go to Congress. Charlie, it was good to have you. It was good to talk to you on the air. Uh, I certainly appreciate the opportunity, and I'm sure I'll see you at another event in Northeast Ohio over the course of the next two weeks. Uh, thanks no, so this Saturday, as a matter of fact. You're going to be there at, at McFan? Yeah, I'll All right, see terrific. you there. Terrific. Well, then I'll see you on Saturday. Charlie, thanks very much for the time. Thank you, Bob. All right, there you go. Yeah, I will be speaking at Medina County Friends and Neighbors on Saturday. Uh, 8.30, I believe it is, uh, at uh, the Thirsty Cowboy in Medina. Lisa always gives us an update on those things. There's going to be candidates speaking there that day as well. But uh, it'll all be part of a huge, huge day as uh, there are busloads of Northeast Ohio conservatives that are going to be taking off, sponsored by the Strongsville GOP, uh, to head down to Delaware to see President Trump speak and to perhaps let them know how he they feel about his endorsements particularly in the senate race because there's a lot of controversy surrounding as you know the JD Vance endorsement so so I will see Charlie there hopefully I'll see you there if you are a Medina Medina County friend or neighbor uh and also just as long as we're on the promotional side here tonight is the latest Ohio chapter webinar of Citizens for Free Speech CFFS Ohio I will be hosting um, our special guest presenter, Tom Zawistowski, the president of the We the People Convention. Tonight, CFFS Ohio Chapter webinar meeting. You're going to want to hear what Tom has to say about the elections coming up in less than two weeks now, uh, in the primary election, about election integrity, about activism, which is what We the People Convention is all about. So if you want to be a part of that, go to the website. Go to citizensforfreespeech.org slash Ohio. Uh, and find your way to the registration for tonight's webinar. It's uh, 7.30 p.m. tonight. It goes about 90 minutes, 7.30 to 9. Listen to Tom Z and participate in Citizens for Free Speech as we continue to fight to protect the First Amendment and this country. Quick time out. Back after this. turns to the left, turn to the right, always right, with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. 1038, as we continue on Always Right Radio, online at alwaysright.us, alwaysright.us, check it out for yourself. So I mentioned the uh, the bushy beard and the cowboy hat, which is, I think, the top two, uh, the top two um, uh, campaign advertisements for the Blystone campaign. Because uh, that's pretty much it. You can't recognize them by plans, by policies, by fiscal responsibility. Uh, you just have the hat and, and the beard. Okay. If you want to vote for the hat and the beard, you can. But just know that the hat and the beard are both going to be reporting tomorrow to the Elections Commission. They reversed their decision about expediting, after a lawsuit was filed, about expediting the hearing involving the multiple complaints filed against the Blystone campaign from within his own campaign. From within. That's right. His former campaign co-manager blew the whistle with 51 pages worth of campaign violation allegations. And uh, apparently that was researched by the Secretary of State's office. 
And the Secretary of State sent him a letter saying, yeah, you can't do all of those things. You owe $101,000 that needs to be returned in illegal campaign contributions. You also have to answer for 130000 more, and if you can't answer for those and justify those, those will have to be returned. So now we're up to 230000 and those penalties could carry fines in the hundreds of thousands of dollars as well. In other words, the guy who wants to manage a multi-billion dollar state budget from the governor's office, can't manage a few hundred thousand dollars in campaign contributions because, in his own words, what do I know about running a campaign? I'm just a farmer. The agency responsible for looking into election law violations, says the Ohio Press Network, will conduct expedited hearings to examine two complaints alleging the Ohio gubernatorial candidate Joe Blystone broke state election laws regarding campaign finance reporting. The hearings are scheduled for April 21st, that's tomorrow, before a panel of three commissioners. If no probable cause is found, the complaints may be dropped. If probable cause is found during the first investigative sessions, then within 10 days the full commission will convene to hear evidence. The full commission hearing would happen on May 2nd, one day before the primary election. Still... Way too late, in my estimation, because people are voting now, and they have been for you know the last couple of weeks. We got two weeks left to do early voting before election day. Anyway, the full commission hearings could result in an array of outcomes, ranging from no action to fining Blystone's campaign uh, to referring the allegations to the Franklin County prosecutor. That would be contingent upon evidence presented and the commission's ruling. Earlier this month, the Ohio Elections Commission turned down the request from a member of the general public to quickly examine two complaints. That decision prompted the relator in the dispute, Butler County voter Mary Capella, to pursue a writ of mandamus from the Supreme Court against the OEC Executive Director and Staff Attorney Philip Richter and commissioners at the OEC, OEC for denying her requests. Mandamus means we order in Latin, and it is a legal remedy that, if granted, would have resulted in the Ohio Supreme Court ordering the Elections Commission to conduct the inquiries within two days, which is exactly what should have happened, by the way. The OEC decision to conduct hearings later this week is independent of the Supreme Court case, which is which now seems to be moot. Had the OEC agreed to fast-track the hearings out of the gate, these complaints could have been examined in a three-member hearing on April 11th. Instead, the commission, upon the advice of Richter, decided against expediting and scheduled the proceedings for May 19th, more than two weeks following the primary election in which Blystone is running. And I'm just going to pause there and point out the absurdity of the Ohio Elections Commission and its leader, uh, Philip Richter. The executive director of that commission is, is, is a joke. The idea that he would schedule that hearing for May 19th when the election is on May 3rd. What, I know it's not going to happen because we're smart people. But play the game with me. Hypothetically speaking, what if Joe Blystone somehow shocked the earth and won the primary. Now you have a Republican nominee for the governor's office running against Nan Whaley or somebody on the Democrat side in the general election who then would be facing these hearings only to find out he committed campaign finance law violations and is being investigated by the prosecution. It would be handing the governor's office to the Democrats. That's insane. Now I know he's not going to win the primary, and in fact all he's going to do is be embarrassed in the primary as if he hasn't already embarrassed himself and his supporters enough by now. 
but Joe Blystone being allowed to stay in this in this in this race that way without the hearings being held is just it's comical if not criminal. The report continues, after the request for mandamus was filed last week, the Ohio Press Network contacted Richter to ask if the tactic would cause him to put the hearings on a faster track. He said the request wouldn't cause the commission to schedule hearings on Capella's complaints complaints sooner. He planned to wait and see what the high court concluded. That changed yesterday when Richter released a determination letter to Capella's attorney, Kurt Hartman, and Blystone's legal counsel, Josh Brown, announcing the April 21st hearing. So that, again, was from the Ohio Press Network. In the letter uh, from Richter obtained by the Press Network, the OEC attorney wrote that uh, after further consideration and pursuant to the state law, it was determined that the complaint set forth at least one violation of revised code 3517.13 and shall therefore receive an expedited hearing before a probable cause panel of the commission. The commission, by the way, is composed of three Democrats, three Republicans, and one unaffiliated person. And they adjudicate complaints stemming from alleged violations of Ohio's campaign finance laws. The attorney representing the uh, voter who filed the lawsuit, uh, Mary Capella, the attorney, Kurt Hartman, said, I'm pleased that the Elections Commission has finally recognized their legal obligation to hold these expedited hearings. It's disappointing it took a lawsuit and a delay in time to get the hearings scheduled. It certainly is. It's disappointing, and quite frankly, as I said before, I might, al- I'm almost call- might almost call it criminal. Because the people of Ohio, the Republican voters, need to know the specifics about these very, very serious charges and these campaign finance law violations. They need to know that before they go to vote on May 3rd. Because if they cast their vote for the top hat and beard or the cowboy hat and the beard uh, for some unknown reason, um, it's a vote that could have gone to somebody else who can remove. They obviously want to remove Mike DeWine. And that vote could have gone to somebody else who isn't a cheater in campaign finance law. Could have gone to somebody who isn't uh, under investigation. Could have gone to somebody who didn't have their campaign manager quit because of all of the first-hand eyewitness accounts that they saw of campaign finance violations. That's what Ch- Sarah Chambers said. This isn't an outside campaign making an allegation against a rival. This isn't a Democrat dirty trick from outside. This is a supporter, a believer. Sarah Chambers believed in and supported Joe Blystone. And she was such a dedicated volunteer, she was named co-manager of the campaign. And then as she worked for Joe Blystone... Taken in by all of the the rhetoric, taken in by all of the you know the constitutional conservative man of faith and all the other stuff, which we love to hear because I'm a constitutional conservative and a man of faith. We love that, but taken in as if to think that this is really a true political outsider who can and change things. He's the opposite of Dewine. Taken in by all of that, she volunteered and then watched the way things were done. It's not constitutionally conservative to cheat. It's not constitutionally conservative to take more than the $100 limit of cash contributions. It's not constitutionally conservative to take uh, uh, money and not report it in in whatever denominations they came in. She ended up walking away from the campaign saying, I thought this was a principled conservative campaign. She walked away from it and then filed a 51-page complaint with the Ohio Elections Commission in the fall of last year. I had her on the air the day after I had Joe Blystone on the air last month. And she told the story in detail. 
An Elections Commission preliminary hearing in December found probable cause to proceed with a full hearing. But before that hearing was conducted, Blystone filed a motion to dismiss. That move caused the Attorney General, Dave Yost, to file a brief in favor of the client, the OEC, requesting the court to dismiss Blystone's case. Chambers' complaints have not yet uh, been brought before the full panel of commissioners. Richter said that the commission will wait to conduct that hearing again until after the Common Pleas Court uh, decides. So this is a, this is just kind of a mess. And all of this is happening as we are now less than two weeks away from the actual primary election. And Jim Renacci, who is working his tail off, going from one end of the state to the other, going from every town hall, from one town hall to the next, every one that he can possibly make, doing every conversation, challenging Mike DeWine and the cowboy hat to the, uh, uh, to the debate stage, not getting any responses, ended up uh, doing an event last night down in Columbus that was supposed to be an invitation-only uh, town hall meeting for and debate for Jim Renacci and for uh, Mike DeWine. I assume that the hat was invited to, but um, nobody wanted to come. So Jim Renacci went and had an individual town hall meeting. And uh, I guess that's supposed to air tonight. It's a little confusing as to whether it's going to air tonight on Newsmax Television and probably Newsmax.com at 8 p.m. or 8.30. Um, I've gotten two different reports on that. But you know what? Listen to it. Watch it. And be convinced that Jim Renacci, un- unlike what the the hat and its campaign um, uh, uh, affiliates are saying, they're just calling every time you see him online, oh, Renacci's nothing but DeWine 2.0. Well, who told you that? The hat. Well, if that tells you that, then you know I guess it must be true, right? No, Jim Renacci could not be further apart politically, ideologically, and policy-wise from uh, Mike DeWine. Uh, the reality of it is Jim Renacci is a conservative Republican. Mike DeWine is a pretend Republican. He is a Democrat wearing an R on his chest, somehow proudly. Uh, and it's only because he knows he can keep being elected that way. It's criminal. Uh, and say that euphemistically. Uh, it's not literally criminal, but I think from a standpoint of fooling voters, it is a criminal act. All right, 216 If you're a fan of the hat, by the way, you can tell me, and it's okay. I talked to the group last night at the um, Lakewood West Park Conservative Club meeting, and I asked how many people there were supportive of uh, Jim Renacci getting rid of uh, Mike DeWine and uh, how many were supportive of the hat, and there weren't too many. But uh, I said to them, look, you're good people. You're conservatives. We agree probably on 99% of the things. The only thing we disagree on is you know, nominating uh, the hat to, to replace Mike DeWine because it can't happen. It would be an embarrassment. The state of Ohio would be in a state of beyond disarray. A guy who can't manage a couple hundred thousand dollars in campaign contributions wants to manage a multi-million, excuse me, multi-billion dollar state budget affecting nearly 12 million Ohioans. And his own, by his own admission, I don't know what to do with this because I'm just a farmer. Well, then keep farming. Keep farming and let's, let's get Jim Renacci into the governor's office. I think that's what has to happen here. So if you are a fan of the hat and you uh, want to convince me that Jim Renacci is 2.0 of Mike DeWine, despite their multitude of differences politically and platform and policy-wise, by all means, you're welcome to do so. Unlike Twitter, this doesn't have to be an echo chamber. Disagreeing is allowed, because I think we all have the same goal, and that is the preservation of the Constitution uh, and the preservation of our rights, which are under severe attack by the Branded administration, and quite honestly, by the Mike DeWine administration as well. Two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. Right back on Always Radio. 
Okay, 1055. Let's get a few phone calls in here before the top of the hour on Always Right Radio online at alwaysright.us. Let's go to West Park. That's where I was yesterday, kind of, sort of. We were doing the Lakewood West Park Conservative Club. Uh, Diane, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Uh, good morning, Bob. Thank you. Uh, speaking of that group, I don't know if uh, Keith Davey mentioned to you, but he's running for Ohio House of Representatives for District 13. He and, did uh, not. Ma- he did not mention that to me, and oh. I'm a little disappointed by that. <laughs> oh, I'm, <laughs> I so, well, I'm not surprised. He's a humble man and a fine man as well. I know Keith personally, um, and you know, Bob, I'd just like to invite you to invite him on to the show. Yeah, like it's to a good hear idea. What he has to say. Yeah, it's a good idea. Okay. I, I also found him to be very, very uh, kind man, a very nice man, and uh, and and gracious as well. And yeah, and you know the one thing you can't be when you're a politician, and I'll and I'll tell him this, which he probably knows <clears throat> by now. You can't be humble. <laughs> you're going to have to tout yourself and your accomplishments and your ideas uh, if you really want to get a shot at helping the state. And I'll tell you something. Diane, uh, if he is as a candidate, what I have seen him to be as a man, then I would be very strongly uh, willing to uh, to support his candidacy because we have far too many rhinos who or, or Republicans on paper, if you will, uh, who are working in our state house right now. So in the state house and in the state senate, uh, if we can get more people who are truly conservative involved, and if that's what Keith is, then I want to be behind that. Well, I, I know that, and let's erase that humble word because um, that was my own. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, it's a compliment. But, uh, for I just most know people. him to be a that. fine it, gentleman. Yeah, and it's a compliment if somebody is humble and if somebody somebody has, has humility, uh, and and it really is. But then you have to kind of go past that when it's time to campaign. When it's time to campaign and tout your accomplishments and and uh, and promote yourself, that's when you have to set humility aside. And I uh, I respect well, the fact that he's humble because that's uh, that's that's a great character trait. Not a, not us, not a slam. Well, you if you have him on your show, he can show you his chops, right? He that's can, right. Uh, <laughs> That's right. No, okay. I appreciate it. Thank you, Diane, for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, Keith Davy invited me. Apparently, he's leading this. And didn't find out until I got there last night. By the way, that it was only the third meeting they had ever had of the Lakewood West Park Conservatives. Uh, I go out and speak to conservative groups all over, and um, I didn't know this was a new one. And I love the fact that they created this, and they did so in a place that is a haven for liberalism. Uh, you know, it's Lakewood for crying out loud. The fact that they put this club together is a great thing. And if Keith led that, then obviously he does have some chops to influence people. And that's great to hear. Um, let's go to Medina next. Tom, you are on AM 1420. The answer, go ahead. Hi, hi, Bob. Hi, Tom. I want to talk about Frank LaRose. He was on your program. Yes, sir. And, uh, well, this is what he said in his flyer that I got. Okay. He's worked tirelessly to run fair elections, and his record proves it. I would like to know what what do you think he's done so to make our elections fair? I don't think I haven't heard anything that he's done. Well, if you listen to his commercials, um, and if you listen to his interview with me the other day, I mean, he talked about. I did. Uh, he talked about uh, you know the the elimination of uh, unattended uh, ballot drop boxes. Uh, he talked about uh, hand recounts being done in the state of Ohio of all uh, of all ballots because that's a big thing for me. Have uh, you heard of that? I've never. I've never seen that done or heard about it. I didn't either, and that, that's why Recount. I was a little surprised to hear his response, because I said, shouldn't we count everything by hand? And he said, we are. Uh, now, do <laughs> I have evidence that he doesn't or that he's wrong, or, or can I have, do I have evidence that he's right and that what he's saying is can be verified? I don't. I just interviewed him and asked him, and he gave us what he gave us. Uh, but uh, he said everything is being hand-recounted, and he also supports the idea 
And the one thing I will say, and you probably heard me because I, I pressed him on it a little bit, it's one thing to say I support the idea if the legislature comes out with a bill to require photo identification and not just, you know, utility bill or transcript or whatever identification. He said he would support that. And I said, well, it's one thing to support it if they do it. It's another thing to propose it. It's another thing to talk to legislators and tell them to get off their rear ends. You run the elections in this state, and this is what you need to have happen in order for them to have integrity. Uh, that's what I would really like to see our Secretary of State do. Okay, well, uh, there's somebody that I don't. Why there's somebody primarying him? John Adams. Why don't you get? I think that's who it is. Can yeah, it is John Adams. And ironic, ironically, he, I'm glad you mentioned that too. And Tom, thanks for the call. It's eleven o'clock. I got to get to our news. John Adams was supposed to speak last night to the same group that I was, and I was hoping to meet him and talk to him about bringing him on. Uh, he was supposed to be there, and then Keith announced at the start of the meeting last night that he was not going to be able to make it for whatever reason. But, yeah, uh, John Adams is uh, uh, primarying Frank LaRose, and I would very much like to talk to him. And uh, we're going to continue to try to make that happen between now and Election Day. But he was supposed to be there last night, couldn't for, for one reason or another, and we'll, uh, uh, we'll hope that we, we can indeed cross paths sooner rather than later. Tom, thanks for the call. Let me get a time out here for news. We're going to talk to Neil McCabe, reporter for the Ohio Star, next. And then more of your phone calls in hour number three coming up on Always Right Radio. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three on the way now, seven minutes past 11 o'clock. It is a Wednesday, 20th morning of the fourth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Word has it that more illegal aliens are hopping on the buses voluntarily, which is the way it for some reason is. I never really quite grasped that, by the way. Greg Abbott is is uh, trying to load up as many illegals as he can, and since they're being uh, shipped into the mainland United States, into the interior all across this country, anyway... Uh, he just said, why not send them to Washington, D.C., put them on the steps of Capitol Hill and let Congress deal with them. I've never understood why it had to be voluntary. You break my law. You come into my country without permission. I ought to be able to load you up on anything I want to and send it in whatever direction I want to, including south and back to where you left from. File uh, a petition or a request to come to my country legally, and then maybe I'll give you a card that says, yeah, you can do that. Come on in. You can visit. You can work. You can study. 
But uh, at any rate, I guess you have to ask them nicely if you want to get on this bus and go to D.C., and they're doing it. Uh, there have been a few busloads delivered already to Washington, D.C., and uh, as I understand it, there's another one on its way today. And that's why Neil McCabe, our friend from the Ohio Star, who is one of their lead reporters, is in Washington, D.C. right now, awaiting a bus. Uh, Neil, good morning. How are you? Hey, fantastic, Bob. You know, uh, I was just thinking, you know, this this reminds me of Rudy Giuliani. I don't know if you remember, maybe your parents told you stories about Rudy Giuliani when he was the mayor of New York. But he cleaned up Times Square by just rounding up all the homeless and all the beggars and the vagrants, put them on a bus and sent them to New Jersey. So Greg Abbott is basically updating that uh, that model in Texas. I love it, by the way. The only thing I wish he would do, and I, he said something yesterday in an interview, Neil, um, about Delaware. Uh, Delaware might be a great place to send some of these uh, buses as well, because that, of course, is where Joe Biden spends more time than he does in D.C. Uh, I say send them to Joe Biden's neighborhood, send them to Chuck Schumer's neighborhood, send them to Nancy Pelosi's neighborhood, send them into Queens where AOC, send them everywhere that, you know, they, the, the left leadership seems to want us to think that it's not a problem to have them just swarming American cities. Why not send them to their neighborhoods? Literally put up some cheap housing, rent out some spaces and let them live right next to and right uh, in the same uh, proximity to the leaders who are bringing them in. Oh, sure. I'd send them to Martha's Vineyard. Uh, there you go. Maybe Nantucket. Uh, there's, uh, I, have some, uh, I have some relatives living in the fancy town of Brookline, and uh, they, they love migrants, so let's see how much they love them when uh, that bus shows up. Yeah, and and by the way, I want before anybody accuses us of sounding as if we're anti-migrant, we're not. We're, we're I'm pro-migrant. I'm pro-immigrant. I am anti-illegal migrant and illegal immigration, and those are the people that are causing the problems here as they exploit our laws, really at the direction of the uh, of the Biden the Brandon administration. Yeah, I, I have to report. You know what happens in D.C. when a bus shows up, like it did this morning, mm-hmm. is these buses show up, and rather than sort of dumping these migrants onto uh, Congress's doorstep or the people of Washington so that it basically to overwhelm the system. What happens in reality is that a representative, a concierge, if you will, from Catholic Charities will be there with a clipboard and basically says, hey, would you like some food? We'll take you, uh, we'll take you to buy some clothing. Uh, where in the United States would you like to go? And that's what happens. They just basically get tickets. Most of them take tickets to Miami. Well, Miami isn't going to work, is it? I mean, well, Ron I DeSantis, mean, let, me, let me read it. Sure, to, those, to those who have entered the country illegally, fair warning, do not come to Florida. Life will not be easy for you because we are obligated to uphold the immigration laws of this country, even if our federal government and other states will not. Florida is not a sanctuary state, and our social programs are designed to serve the citizens of our state. The governor will protect the sovereignty of the state of Florida, end quote. That is a statement from Governor Ron DeSantis' office. Well, you know and I know that uh, some of those local governments will be able to find a way, and certainly, you know, Catholic charities, but also Lutheran services, uh, the Salvation Army. There's a lot of our favorite sort of uh, social welfare organizations that have turned this into big big money, and uh, you know if they get twenty, thirty thousand dollars per migrant, it's it's really like dealing with these uh, dealing with these social uh, welfare groups and immigration. It's like trying to deal with big pharma and and the transgender issue because 
you know, obviously the, the transgender thing is is fueled by all of the wicked, expensive drugs that they have to pump into these kids. And of course, so big pharma is the one, you know, pushing our culture. And we see the same thing with these uh, these agencies that are just making absolute bank while they destroy the small towns in our country. Very, very well said. Very good point. We're talking to Neil McCabe, who makes great points for the Ohio Star. All right, let's go back to or come back to the Buckeye State. You're in D.C., but let's talk about what's going on here. Uh, I interviewed J.D. Vance yesterday. He is making the rounds and answering the tough questions. And I give him credit for that, by the way. Um, He got the endorsement of Donald Trump despite being the only candidate in this primary field who had been vocally and repeatedly very critical of Donald Trump, not just during the primaries when he liked a different candidate, because I was that. I criticized Donald Trump very heavily when I was in Ted Cruz camp. But once Trump got the nomination, I knew what had to be done, just like so many other Republicans did, uh, that we had to support Donald Trump. Uh, so he he went hard and heavy and said some things about Trump that I don't know if anybody else said, including references to Hitler, including references to uh, racism and xenophobia in the Trump support base. So I went at him, and so are a lot of a lot of other people, and he has taken those hits and saying, I changed. Do not judge me by those. Judge me by what I believe now. What is your take on the Trump endorsement of former never-Trumper J.D. Vance? First of all, Bob, I want to say your interview with J.D. Vance was so strong they had to cut it with vodka. And you really (laughs) took it. You took it to him. That was very impressive. Um, And uh, there there were moments in that interview where he could not have been enjoying your company. But uh, having said that, I thought he handled himself well. I give him a lot of credit. For, uh, for catching arrows and dealing with it. And I think the way he handled those, uh, those questions from you and the way he sort of presented himself really in the last two or three weeks of this campaign has sort of, it, it almost made him sort of the natural choice. I think that Trump endorsed J.D. Vance just before Vance didn't need him. And it's very important for Trump's brand for him to endorse and have that endorsee win. And I think Trump timed it just about right, and I think it's just going to work out for everyone. Um, I agree with what you just said about the way he handled it. And, uh, and, and I was not easy on him, and he knows it. And I appreciate the graciousness uh, that he showed in not blowing his top a lot of a lot of candidates when you press them on the critical things particularly on what he considers to be old news it's not but you know i'm sure he wants it to be old news that's what i said in 2015 and 2016 can we can we talk about policy going forward now he didn't do that he didn't he didn't dodge any of it i thought he was very gracious in answering those questions and and one of the reasons i felt the need to ask them too, uh neil mccabe is because if he is successful and wins this primary, what I did to him is going to be you know nothing compared to what the Dem- Democrats are going to do, what the Ryan campaign, what the leftist media is going to do to him uh, in the general election. Uh, he, if he can't answer these tough questions from me now, uh, I can't imagine how he's going to be able to handle the general because it's going to be far worse. Yeah, and I think the other side of it, Bob, is that, yeah, he said horrible things about President Trump in 2016 or 2015, but this is a guy who, you know, in a text message asked his roommate from law school, is this guy going to be America's Hitler? Well, that guy who was so anti-Trump, he accepted Trump's endorsement. He sought Trump's endorsement. He is campaigning as a Trump guy. A lot of people, especially these rhinos, 
they get a Trump endorsement, they don't even mention it. I mean, so J.D. Vance, you know, he says that he's reformed, he says he's reconstructed, and he's actually, he's embracing the agenda. And does anyone doubt that he's going to advance the MAGA agenda in, in the Senate? I, I, I think that's, that's a lead pipe cinch. Uh, you look at, say, Pennsylvania, where, uh, you know, you have a guy, McCormick, who Trump did not endorse. You know, as soon as McCormick got into the Senate, he was going to become Mitt Romney. Uh, you know, and a lot of these guys flip, but not Vance. I, I really believe that Vance, uh, Vance holds these things tough because he's grounded in his roots. And I think that's why he came around to the Trump position. And I think it helped to watch the guy as president for four years and sort of judging Trump by his enemy. And I think that was part of what he said yesterday. So two, two follow-ups to that. One, do you think this race is over now? Because you said that Trump gave this endorsement almost to the point where J.D. didn't need it. You seem to think he's going to win anyway. Is this race over now, do, or do Gibbons or Mandel have a shot at, at, at overtaking him? I, I think the coward's answer is it's J.D. Vance's race to lose. Uh, I wouldn't bet the farm, but I would bet the big house. Okay. The the second follow-up is, so it sounds like you believe the sincerity. I, I, I addressed a conservative group last night, and I said, I don't know what to think about the sincerity. He said all the right things yesterday. He was he was um, gracious. Uh, he, he was tolerant of my hard-pointed questions, and he answered with, with really you know great responses. But how do you judge a man's sincerity? Because he didn't say these things in 2018. He didn't, you know, say with two years of reflection on what he said back in 2016, he didn't say, boy, I was really wrong about that Trump guy. He's doing a phenomenal job. This is a, I'm so glad to see this. He said it about 18 months ago when he decided he was going to run for Senate. That's when he started changing the, uh, the narrative publicly anyway and saying the positive things about Trump. So he didn't have anything to gain if he'd have said it in 2018, 2017, 2018. He had a lot to gain now that he's running for Senate in 2022 and now is when he's making public his conversion. So it, the question exists, I think, in everybody's mind. Is he being honest and true and sincere about his conversion to being pro-Trump and pro-America first? Or is this what he has to say because he's running for Senate? Well, you know, if you look at his his sort of life story and how he grew up in his, his bizarre family situation, his difficult family situation, and then, you know, looking at him uh, becoming a Marine Corps photojournalist and... Then, you know, go to college and law, Yale Law School. You know, he's a guy who's basically, you know, he's had to make decisions and compromises along the way that may have been in conflict with sort of his roots. And I think what I heard him say yesterday and other with you and with other people is that with Trump, he feels reconnected to his true self. And, and I take that as sincere. Let me, uh, since you brought up McCormick in Pennsylvania, um, I want to ask you this. I want to play this 30-second little compilation put together by uh, McCormick's uh, campaign in Pennsylvania. This yep. is 30, 30 seconds of Dr. Mehmet Oz. Wearing a mask is one of the best ways to stay safe. Everyone should be wearing a mask. I don't understand what the argument is about masks. They don't take our freedoms. They give us freedom. You can get used to wearing them when you go grocery shopping. So wear your mask. Is it time for us to double mask? The agency is now recommending you wear two masks. Wearing one mask on top of the other is a move embraced by many, from President Joe Biden. A double mask, another reminder of why you should wear a mask. What message do you have for people who are shrugging off masks? These are the fashionable ones. That's why I wear a mask for you. 
So with the federal, uh, um, uh, the, or the federal judge lifting the mask mandate on transit, public transit, everybody's talking about this, not, about this now, and this is a conservative point. Well, here's Dr. Oz, a montage of wear the mask, wear the mask, wear two masks, mask, 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 mask. It, it begs the question, Neil McCabe, what does a Trump endorsement mean if he's going to endorse, endorse somebody with far-left positions like Mehmet Oz? Well, you know, I, I've, I've viewed and I have actually, uh, you know, tweeted out uh, Oz videos where he said some things about abortion rights and guns that sort of made me uncomfortable. And I think that McCormick might put that out on his next reel. I think, again, we have to look at the Trump, what it does for Trump and what it does for Oz in the Senate. And what does Oz mean? The first thing is, if McCormick won, McCormick was in the lead by most polls. If Trump endorsed McCormick, he wouldn't have gotten any credit for it. Just like Trump carried uh, Youngkin over the finish line, and in the end, <laughs> everybody said it was a loss for Trump somehow. If, with, if Oz wins the primary, a thousand percent of the credit goes to Trump, and that's the bet Trump is placing personally for his brand and uh, to help power of his endorsements in the future. And the second thing is, like I said before, if McCormick is the senator from Pennsylvania, he's going to be just as bad, if not worse, than Patrick J. Toomey. He's going to be another Mitt Romney. There's no way McCormick is going to consider himself a loyal Trump guy. If Oz is in the Senate, I believe he will fall into line and he will see himself as a Trump guy in the Senate. And that's what Trump needs. We're talking to Neil McCabe, reporter for the Ohio Star. Neil, I've got questions on the uh, the governor's race, and particularly the Blystone expedited hearing yeah. that's going to be held tomorrow. Can you hang with me through a quick break and uh, talk about that? Absolutely, man. Thanks, okay, let's do that. Neil McCabe is with us from the Ohio Star. He's not in Columbus today, though. He is down in Washington, D.C., covering the busloads of migrants being dropped off on, on the steps of Capitol Hill. And we'll come back to him on Always Right Radio after this. Okay, 10, 12, or excuse me, 11.25 now. I've got a few good minutes left here with Neil McCabe, reporter for the Ohio Star. So we all know what's been going on here. Um, you know, the former campaign manager, Neil, of uh, Joe Blystone uh, blew the whistle with 51 pages of allegations of campaign finance uh, violations. Uh, we know that Frank LaRose's office, the Secretary of State, hit him with a $101,000 uh, statement or letter, rather, re- re- requesting the return of $101,000 of illegal campaign contributions, and he must answer for another 130000 And then, of course, he's potentially facing a referral to the Franklin County Prosecutor's Office. Uh, none of this was going to be heard by the Elections Commission until after the election on May 3rd, until a lawsuit changed all of that, and now we've got something going on tomorrow. What can you tell us? Yeah, and you know, it's uh, Sarah Chambers, the uh, former campaign manager. I actually interviewed her about her interview with the FBI. And so you can add that to the list of troubles that Joe Blystone and his campaign had. What's going to happen tomorrow is the probable cause panel of the Ohio Elections Commission meets at 09 to hold a hearing, a probable cause hearing, on two complaints filed by Butler County resident. Mary Capella, and I interviewed her attorney, Kurt Hartman, about that. And basically what they said is like, hey, we have two complaints. One deals with his expenditures, and one deals with how he's handled his contributions. And just on what he filed in his end-of-the-year report for 2021, 
there is enough there to say that he violated campaign finance law, or at least Ohio's finance law. They filed that April 7th and basically said, hey, we'd like an expedited fast-track hearing because the Ohio law says if it is a complaint filed within 60 days of an election or primary, you get that fast-track. Bill Richter, the executive director and staff attorney for the Ohio Election Commission, basically shrugged that off and told them to go fish. And that's when Hartman filed a petition with the Supreme Court of Ohio to basically order, have the court, the high court, order Richter and the commission to hold a hearing. And that's basically what happened. And it's my understanding, I don't have proof for this, the sort of rumor intelligence is that the Attorney General's office, which would have had to defend the Ohio Elections Commission in the Supreme Court, basically told Richter, we don't want to take this case. Why don't you hold that hearing? And that's going to happen at 9. And, of course, the Ohio Star is going to attempt to live stream that on the Ohio Star Facebook page. Uh, We tested it out yesterday for about two or three hours, and uh, I think we figured it out, Bob. Clarify that last part again for me, because I think it sounds confusing. So the Attorney General Dave Yost actually is is defending his client, the OEC, and how does this right. impact the, the, the Blystone case? So I don't have this solid. What I have is sort of rumor intelligence okay. that Yost and his office, they would be the attorneys defending the Ohio Elections Commission. And against, my against Mary Capella, yes, Mary filing Capella. the lawsuit. And, and, exactly. Okay, so when in the so in the Supreme Court, the Attorney General would represent the commission, and that's when uh, staffers or maybe one of the assistant Attorney Generals sort of said to Richter, "Hey, why don't you not force us to do this? Why don't you just follow the law and hold the hearing?" And it's a it's a three person panel. There'll be one Republican, one Democrat, one Independent. And it's a very low bar, Bob. They just have to establish, is there probable cause to move forward to an evidential hearing with the full commission? And that in that hearing is when you would actually have the evidence presented. And Ohio law is, is kind of unique. You can only, can go, you can only bring criminal charges against the candidate if it goes through the Ohio Elections Committee. It's set up the same way a grand jury is set up for normal criminal cases. But if a district attorney or a county attorney tried to bring charges against the candidate and did not go through the commission, it's a no-go. Other prosecutors do not have standing or jurisdiction. Everything must go through the commission. And it's been set up that way. It's a sort of a gateway for enforcement. Neil, I read a description of this a short while ago that, that, that this is why I'm confused by it, that described sure. Yost as filing a brief in favor of his client, uh, which is the commission, as you say, requesting that the court dismiss Blystone's case. It is, it, it, I'm, I'm, so two different things I'm hearing here, I think, they, I think they're in contradiction with one another. And I know you're saying what you hear, you're hearing is not solid, but, but is, is that description accurate or where am I missing it? Well, it's, it's, you can have Yost filing to say dismiss this case, but... The case against Blystone. The, the case against Blystone, but at the same time, 
telling the Elections Commission to hold their probable cause hearing. Okay. It's two different. Because the way I read events. that, the way I read that, it made it sound very, very alarming that this that the attorney general of the state was was acting on behalf of or in favor of Blystone by saying toss this case, which would be, of course, monumental. Right, and and and, and I think I I hadn't seen that, uh, but it sort of makes sense to me that he maybe he maybe just said, hey, this is frivolous, and we don't want to jam up the system with it. However. Uh, you know, there is a, a law that says that the commission must hold a hearing within, if it's filed within 60 days. Right. And I don't think Yost wanted to stand in front of the Supreme Court and say, I know the law says we have to have a hearing, but I'm asking the Supreme Court to ignore that law. Probable cause hearing tomorrow in the Blystone uh, campaign finance law violation case, and we'll see where it goes. If it uh, if there is probable cause, then they would have that full hearing with the full commission on May 2nd, one day before the people go to vote for governor of the state of Ohio, or at least in the primaries. Neil yeah, McCain, and it's my understanding, Bob, that the attorney general doesn't even have standing. It's just sort of, it would almost be the same, like an amicus brief. Uh, yeah, right. I think that's what it is. It would, it would be filing an amicus brief. It's not necessarily something where he has standing. It's an amicus brief uh, recommendation uh, to the court. Um, Neil McCabe, Ohio Star reporter. Great stuff all day. Thank you, Neil. We appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Take care, Bob. Good to be with you. Take care. 11.32. We'll take a time out for news. Come back. Got one more segment on Always Right Radio. Holding the line against the darkness of tyranny. Always right with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. All right, 1139. Let's get a few phone calls in here before we turn it over to Bill O'Reilly to wrap up the hour here on AM 1420. The answer. Let's uh, hit up uh, Hudson. Gina, you are on AM 1420. The answer. Go right ahead. Hi, Bob. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, Bob, I have to tell you, my husband and I are lifelong Catholics and our children to Catholic schools, but we are beyond disgusted by the facilitation of the invasion of our southern border by none other than Catholic charities. Uh, we have families in this state and all over the country who can't afford to send their kids to Catholic schools, but yet Catholic charities can dote out all this money on the behalf of uh, illegal aliens coming into this border. It's outrageous. And I guess I'm asking, Bob, if you could do a deeper dive into our local uh, representatives of Catholic Charities and do a show on this, because we need to get to the bottom of this. We need to know why this money is being paid out to these people, these NGOs, and we need to stop it. And I ask all Catholics, if you're giving your money, please consider where this money is going. It's not going, I think, to uh, local uh, Catholic families who really need the help. I think it's going to facilitate an entire new set of uh, population. I have a a personal story with that that I can share with you if I do such a show or or an hour or something like that. Do me a favor, if you would, Gina, and thank you for the phone call. Send me an email. You can find a contact email address on alwaysright.us and remind me of that because it is something I would like to look into. And, again, there's a personal story that I can share. Uh, and I share your concern and, quite frankly, your outrage. Uh, I'm a Catholic, too, but, boy, this is uh, this is an issue. So send an email to me. Just go to alwaysright.us. You'll find contact info there. Uh, Gary is in uh, Middleburg Heights. Gary, go right ahead. No, Bob, Bob I want the mask mandate to uh, continue, especially for women. Why is that? Well, if you've ever seen my girlfriend, uh, it covers up her mustache. 
<laughs> Thank you, Gary, for the phone call. For some reason, I thought there was going to be an Islamic joke there about the masks and the face coverings, but uh, yeah, you, you changed it up on me. Thank you. Uh, let's go to uh, Charlie and Westlake. Hey, Charlie, go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. I tried calling yesterday. got dropped off. Hey, this is about uh, the J.D. Vance. I want to make a comment. He says he's changed on Trump, but as of yesterday, he definitely hasn't changed on Trump supporters. He goes, my dad loved Trump coming down the escalator. He isn't a racist, not even a bit. I go, why are you bringing up that other than you think Trump supporters are racist? To me, he's not who he says he is. He's putting on a great show. Donald Trump doesn't know any of those guys, so he picked the guy that he thought he knew the best because of celebrity. But he, this guy isn't who he said he is. He's, he's put, still putting Trump supporters down as of yesterday. Well, this is the hard thing. Thank you, Charlie, for the call. This is the hard thing, as I said on the air, and I also said to the group yesterday in Lakewood, um, you know, judging a man's sincerity is a difficult thing to do. Is he saying it for any other reason than personal self-gain or self-promotion? Uh, and as I said, with J.D., he didn't say this in 2018, uh, you know, after two years of maybe looking back at the Trump presidency to see if he was right. He didn't say it until basically last year when he decided it was time to run for the Senate. And now he's got to answer all of the Trump criticism, and he's going to have to say the opposite of what he said then. So that causes us to maybe question his sincerity. Am I saying he's a liar now? No, because I said very critical things of Trump also. Back in the uh, camp, uh, primary campaign period before the 2016 election, I converted and switched whenever it became the nomination of Trump versus Hillary. And it was obvious what I had to do. Then, already on board, then I watched him work miracles and do some amazing things for this country uh, in his time in office. And, and then it was a no-brainer for me. So I converted, but it was a different scenario and a different time. Uh, so people can convert and see things differently. Maybe J.D. truly, sincerely has. Or maybe not. Maybe it's political expediency. I don't know the answer. Uh, how, do you, how do you judge what's in a man's heart? I don't know. Uh, real quick, Barry in Cleveland. I've got 30 for you, Barry. Go ahead. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Hey, real, yeah, real quick. I'm curious why uh, Renacy is uh, eerily absent any real campaigning on TV or radio. Even Blystone, who's committed election suicide, has got more campaigning on radio than he does. Well, I, I talked about that. Or thank you, Barry, for the call. I talked about that earlier, um, and I'll talk about it again tomorrow when I have more time. But I did ask Jim Renacy that question. Here's what you should do. My last interview with Jim Renacy was about five days ago. Go listen to it at alwayswrite.us on the podcast page. I asked him why you aren't more on television, and he had a very direct answer for that. Check it out for yourself, and maybe I'll play it on tomorrow's Enjoy show. Thanks, everyone, for a great conversation today. Let's go, Brandon. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.